0: Good morning, church. Uh, Joe Rowan today. Yeah. Um, I thought it was going to be just this nice, kind of gentle thing, and then I walked out of um, Panera with our bagels, and I thought I was going to end up with soggy bagels all over the parking lot because the, the paper got all wet. So I'm glad that you, the hardcore, are here this morning. So I'm glad, glad to see you. Um, quick update uh, last Monday, <clears throat> Uh, Pastor Gary Underwood from our Muskogee Sister Church came up and grabbed our supplies that we had collected, um, a bunch of shovels and rakes and the things, uh, and they were delivered to a disaster relief site in Weber Falls. That was the place that got the, the barge, remember, that slammed into the, the dam and whatnot. Um, and uh, what he told me was that um, they were very appreciative. Uh, I think we got tagged on something on Facebook, and as soon as I figure out how to get that onto ours, you can all see it. But I just want to let you know, thank you for partnering with us to do that. It it was well-needed supplies and much appreciated. So thank you for your generosity on that. I figured you'd probably want to know that that update. I was glad to get it, and uh, so I thought I'd pass it along. Okay, so uh, you, um, I'm glad the other reason why you're here is that I pulled the rug out from you last week. Some of you are still harboring some bitter feelings. It's okay. There's 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 forgiveness in Jesus. So hang on. Uh, And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to go watch the video because it was pretty awesome. Anyway, that was called a hook. So, right? I'm just kidding. Uh we're in the series uh on Acts, and um I want to be clear about what we're doing in the book of Acts for the summer. We're trying to learn from the early church on how to follow the Holy Spirit. Um, and I, You've heard me say this a couple of times, and I think it, 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 it bears worth repeating, because the official title of the book is The Acts of the Apostles, but really what we see is the Holy Spirit moving and the disciples kind of following along, much like we're supposed to do as, as Christian believers in today's world. And so we're trying to learn from that early church, and really grasp, at least begin to grasp um, how we can actually follow him. And so what we've done is we've we've heard Jesus make this command to wait in Jerusalem. That was fun, I'm sure. Um, Second, we witnessed the Spirit come in power, and rather dramatically. We realized that God still wants to pour out his Spirit on us today, and we learned that we should worship with joy and with a posture of expectancy. And today, um, we're going to turn our attention to a very familiar passage, especially if you've been any part of any type of church plant ever. Um, most church plants, church plants come back to this end ending part of uh, Acts chapter 2. Now, we've been in chapter 2 for a while, um, but we're going we're to hit this passage, and then we're going to close out chapter 2 and then move on to chapter 3. And so what I'm going to do is I want to read the section. Um, I want to make some explanations and comments as we go along. And then I want to offer a thought on it. So that's kind of what we're up to today. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to begin in verse number 40. So Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 40. You know... When when I first went to seminary and we we did that and we tell people to turn to that chapter, you're supposed to wait till you finish hearing people flipping pages. But now with cell phones and whatnot, you can't do that anymore. It's it's throwing me off my game. So no, I'm just kidding. All right, we're going to be in, in uh, verse 40, chapter two, verse 40. With many other words, he, meaning Peter, warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's what we call a megachurch, right? <clears throat> Verse 42. They, meaning these, this group of believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were, were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as uh, he or she had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord and we believe it. So, this is the aftermath of Peter's first sermon. Very first sermon. Remember, this is the bumbling fisherman who became a fisher of man, right? This is the guy who continually kind of blew it. And yet he's empowered and gives this amazing sermon and talks to this Jewish population in a very Jewish way, in a way that they would understand. And they're asking questions like, what does this mean? What do we do? It's, it's a really powerful thing. And so now, as we get to the end of this, we get to see what happens afterwards. So this fledging, fledgling group, hang on, let me... Jason, am I on? Oh, there we go. Hold on. Let me go back. Come on. There we go. Due to technical difficulties beyond your control. Go ahead and advance it for me, Jason. Okay. Uh, Go back to the first one if you can. So now you guys know what we're going to talk about, right? Because it's all in blue. Okay, here we go. Uh, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And I want to pick this apart a little bit because there's some interesting things that are actually happening here in the original language. This idea of devoted is fascinating. Um, It means that they adhered to or they paid careful attention to. So when we talk about devotion, um, it's an easy word that we can we can kind of gloss over, but this is a very specific word. This is something that they paid close attention to. This was, this was an intentional act, and it becomes important as we go on, and I'll explain here in a moment. So the, the, this group of, of, of um, first-time believers, they devoted themselves to a couple of things, four things to be exact. Here's the first one, the apostles' teaching. Again, easy to read over because we're like, well, yeah, the apostles are there. They're going to be teaching. And, but my question is, what were they teaching? What was it that they were teaching? And so this is this is an important thing. So we can kind of get a glimpse of that just by looking back at, at Peter's sermon. So we, we we can understand that they're teaching about who Jesus is or was in this particular case, what he did, not only um, just what he did on the cross, but also the miracles that he did and ministering to people. Uh, they probably, I can imagine, talked about his commands, which... You know, love was kind of a big deal, right? Love God, love people. That was certainly part of it. We know that repentance and forgiveness is probably uh, or very likely part of that, uh, that set of teachings. And, of course, the Holy Spirit. Because this is all new and they're teaching on these things. And, and the thing that's important to, to remember here, at least in my mind, is that they were teaching all the things that we find here. Because this didn't exist yet. Not as we know it, right? The Old Testament, of course, but the New Testament, those, t- those things that the apostles were teaching are what we find here in the Bible. And, and really what, what it comes down to is, what does life with the Bible look like in my life? Now, now think about that. If we take what's in there and we try to apply it or we try to learn from it, we try to, like, the way I like to say it is absorb it and actually live it out, What does it look like in my life? And I can imagine that you have this group of Christians who are are beginning to believe and they're they're seeing things that are going on around them and they're asking themselves a question of, okay, if I'm claiming that I follow Jesus, what does that actually look like in my life? And the apostles, of course, are modeling that to a certain degree, but they're having to teach people because they don't necessarily have that same frame of reference. So, what does that actually look like? Well, they get a little help by the next one. So, it's the apostles' teaching and to, what's the next word? Fellowship. Now, this is a fascinating word. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. The term here in Greek is called koinonia. And koinonia is one of those words that gets tossed around and has a couple of different ways that it's translated, depending on what what, um, Bible you're reading. But it's either fellowship or community is typically the word. And so koinonia is not just a group of people. Koinonia means that there's a shared experience, okay? So when you have this group of people, they're having the shared experience of Jesus and his Holy Spirit doing things among them, that becomes koinonia, that type of fellowship. And it's in that type of community that they begin to understand what does living like a follower of Jesus look like in my life? Does this make sense? Because you, you, there's one thing. how many of you knew there's that always that one person in school who just always aced the test? You know who this was? And yet for some reason, like couldn't remember to tie their shoes or, you know button their shirt correctly or something. you know I mean, there's always that one person who's book smart but doesn't necessarily have... That's the whole point to this, is that we can go ahead and read this, but what does it actually look like in praxis, right? And so what we have to do in some ways is not just rely on ourselves, but rely on the Holy Spirit speaking to us and the community of people who are around us. Because if they're trying to do the same thing, there's a very good chance that they're wrestling with the same things you are. Or have at one, at one point in their walk with Jesus and can help you do that. That's the economy of God. And remember this God never wastes tragedy. So if you're struggling through something, there's a very good chance somebody else is struggling with that too. I remember I had one um, opportunity at another church that I served a long time ago, and uh, there was a woman who's deeply wrestling with some very personal issues. And she came um, after, after service for prayer and she explained to me what was going on and I said, you know what? I have two people right now who have been where you are. And I walked the two of these other ladies over and I said, this is, and I introduced them and I said, here's, here's the situation. And they just surrounded her and loved her. That's koinonia. That's the type of fellowship where it's like, no, you don't, you don't have to figure this all out on your own. We're here to do this as a body, to do this together. That's koinonia. So we've got this, this notion of the apostles' teaching, this idea of fellowship, which helps us understand that. Um, trying to figure out what life with the Holy Spirit is like, but then this next one is the breaking of bread. Now, there's quite a bit of discussion about this. Um, because I think theologians have to justify their existence sometimes, and so they come up with things that they want to make sure that they discuss at length. Um, what does breaking of bread mean here? Now, at first glance, it probably means that they um, actually ate together. Surprise, surprise. Because everybody knows you can't have a church meeting without food. Right? And every now and then, you've got to have an eating meeting. That's when the belly Christians show up. Right? Got to have a eat mean. Well, at the very minimum, it means that there is some evidence to suggest that it also includes communion, the, the type of thing that we do once a month here. Right? So I don't, I, I don't see necessarily the, the strength of evidence that it is communion, but I think it might include that. So at the very minimum, they ate together. Why? Because your conversation gets personal when you're closer. And when you're sitting across the table from someone you tend to have a slightly more personal relationship. Um, I remember I took my wife out on our first date April 6th, 19, anyway, um, a while ago, and we went out for dinner. Why? Why did we do that? Because then we could have a conversation and we could talk. That's why I don't necessarily like to go on movies on the first date, because you can't really talk to anybody. There's a reason for this. There's this idea of being closer in proximity to one another and the level of the conversation getting deeper. We know this. This is a a human phenomenon. So getting together and having that type of fellowship is only intensified and strengthened by the fact that they broke bread together and they ate. Does this make sense? Okay. So apostles' teaching, working out in fellowship, even on a deeper level through breaking of bread and... uh, I think that's just a natural expression of the fellowship. But then finally we have prayer. Now please understand, those prayers would have been Jewish in form, but they would have been enriched by Jesus, by the the, the notion of Christ. And here's the thing about prayer, and I want to make sure that you hear me say this. I grew up in a um, in a, a Lutheran church. And in that church, the pastor would get up, and I knew the pastor, but when he started praying, he started using language that I didn't understand. these and thou's and thither's and, I, I mean, just all kinds of, what? I didn't even know what that meant. Like, what language is he speaking? And it wasn't speaking in tongues. It was something else entirely. And, uh, and I had professors who did the same thing. But here's, here's what I want you to understand. Prayer is just talking to God. That's it. Don't complicate it. Prayer is just talking to God. Now, there are some nice little models that you can use like push, pray until something happens, and there's some other ones out there that you're probably familiar with. That's fine. But the point is is you're having a conversation with God. The best the people that I know who prayed best were the ones who actually included God in on their conversation. And I think that's a perfectly natural thing to do. Don't make it unnatural. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a conversation. He goes, Well, let's just pray about that. And then just look, if you're gathered in Jesus' name and he's there, why would you ignore him in the conversation? Are you with me? Why would we do that? Let's not do that. Let's just invite him into the conversation. So there's this idea of this kind of, I, I guess, deepening sort of thing. You've got the apostles' teaching, you've got fellowship, you've got the breaking of bread, and then you have prayer, which, by the way, can be pretty intimate. In fact, one of the things that I sometimes um, will tell a couple who might be getting married is, don't pray together, alone. That is a very intimate thing. You you have to be careful of those. It's a very intimate thing to do that. But if you're within a group of people and you're doing it together, you find that you go a little depth. Some of the best prayers I ever heard when we were doing group prayer for somebody, and there are things that you will say to a person in prayer that you would never say to their face beautiful things, encouraging things, powerful things that they actually need to hear, especially if you're doing hot seat prayer you've got one person in the middle and everyone laying on hands. I've, heard that I've seen people break down in tears because they've never felt that kind of love before. That's, that's prayer. You've invited God into that conversation and you've got this depth of relationship that's going on. That's what's happening here. Does this make sense? This is a beautiful, beautiful picture, I think, so however you want to talk to God, um, and there's a variety of different ways to do it. And by the way, journaling is a great way to do it. I'm just saying, um, writing those things down. Because I don't, I don't know about you, but I tend to forget. And I really like to be able to go back in my journal and go, oh yeah, I prayed that one before. Guess what I'm still working on? That's an important thing. If you want to learn more how to do that, let me know. i happy to walk you through that. So, you've got this devotion to these four things, but understand we're talking about a deepening level of relationship between the people and with God. This is an important piece, I think. Next verse is 43. This is my translation because I don't don't like the way the NIV does it, so this is my translation. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. There's this continuing thing that's going on. And also, many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. I think this is important because um, in some of the translations, it feels like people were feeling awe because of the signs and wonders. That's not necessarily what's happening here. The conviction that they felt during Peter's sermon was ongoing. There was a sense of awe of God is up to something and we get to be a part of it. And oh, by the way, there are signs and wonders going on too apostles are doing these things. I think that's an important little distinction that we make because um, the teaching of the apostles was confirmed by miracles. Just like Jesus, if you notice, when Jesus would do some teaching, he often underscored it by the, the miracles that he was doing. And so what we have here, we have this little tiny window into the kingdom of God that the kingdom would not just be about a message it's not just rhetoric it's not just you know kind words but rather it was it was demonstrated by changing people's lives and by the miraculous that was going on i think it's an important thing verse 44 through 45 all the believers were together and had everything in common they sold property and possessions to give to one, to anyone who had need. so this holy unity that they had together was actually demonstrated. It wasn't that, you know, hey, you know, armor on the shoulder, glad we're friends, but when there was a real need, they actually reached out and helped each other. I don't know if you can do that if you don't have a depth of relationship, for a couple of reasons. First of all, you don't have a vested interest in them if you don't have a, uh, uh, a more intimate related, more personal relationship with them, but here's the other piece. <laughs> I don't know how many times I find out things where people had a need until afterwards. It drives me crazy because it's like, I can't help you if I don't know about it when it's happening, right? So, to have that kind of depth of relationship, you begin to learn about people and the needs that they may have. That's the economy of God again. And so, we have to be comfortable with saying, you know what, right now I I could use a little help, and we Americans hate that, don't we? Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. That's not a biblical idea. It's it's just not. The point is, is that we are a body, and we need each other at some time. And there is going to be points in my relationship with Jesus, in my walk, in my life, that I'm going to need you, and you're going to need me, and we need each other. That's the whole point. We're not supposed to do this thing alone. And so you have to have that depth of relationship in order to get to this point. So, verse 46 is a little tricky. Um, Here's, this is my translation again, um, because again, I don't like the NIV one here. Every day they devoted themselves to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread from house to house and ate with glad and sincere hearts. Now, remember, when we talked about devoted earlier, this is the exact same word they devoted, they were attentive to meeting in the temple courts. Now, if you're in Jerusalem and you're a good Jew, you would go to daily prayer. And so there's a couple ways to understand this, I think. This idea um, of temple courts is really about the corporate form of worship. That's what we do here. This is corporate worship. There is something to be said for that. Um, A few years ago, there was a big move to have house churches. And I like house churches. There's things about that I like. I think it pulls from Acts chapter 2, but I think it ignores the fact that there is is something about when the tribe gets together, right? When we all are gathered in the same place and we're singing and we're worshiping, there is something about that that I think God enjoys. If you don't believe me, read Revelation chapter 4. When it talks about all of creation worshiping all at the same time, it's not that you know 10 a.m. Hey, Thrive Church is worshiping, and there are probably a bunch of other churches. No, all of creation has been worshiping. We're just joining at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. Okay, let's keep that let's keep that in perspective. But there's there's this idea here that they devoted themselves to to being in church. <laughs> That's the best way I can describe it. Now, by the way, do not. I mean, I'm not coming down on anybody. Okay? I'm not, there's no guilt here. I understand things happen and sometimes I can't get to church. But the, the point is, is that there's an attentiveness to this to say, no, corporate worship is important. It's good for the soul and it's good for the rest of the body when, when we're all together and we're doing that. So in the temple courts, corporate worship and prayer. Um, next slide. Yeah, next one. Uh, And then they went to their homes and they broke bread from house to house, which is interesting. The result here in verse 47, and I really like this, uh, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Hmm. So the favor of the people and growth. Favor of the people and growth. Those two things are interesting to me because I sometimes think that Maybe the way we do church today, sometimes we don't get the favor of all the people. Have you noticed that? Or is that just me? I think sometimes that happens, and we have to be careful, because one of the, I think, pieces of evidence that you're following the Spirit is that you do have favor of the people that are around you. They appreciate what you do. Um, I think I had the opportunity, some of you know, uh, when I did... Uh, graduate school tour number two, Uh, I was in a very secular environment, and um, uh, people knew what I did for a living. I was in art school, for crying out loud, and uh, let me just say, art school is very different than seminary. (laughs) You should see my Facebook feed, because I got artists, and I have pastors, and it's like, oh my gosh, I mean, opposite ends of the spectrum. But one of the things I remember, I'll never forget this and, and I've said this before, but I had a, a, a person that I knew who looked at me just quite point blank and said, I don't like Christians, but I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> Good, I'm doing my job. Um, I think there is something about when we're, when we're ministering and we're trying to follow Jesus that there's this idea of favor that you have, have with people. Um, I, I'm still exploring that. i was tryn- trying to understand what that means. But that's clearly evidence here, that there's growth. We love the growth, but this idea of favor with, with all the people, that's interesting, I think. I think that's interesting. Um, someday I might dig a little bit deeper. All of this to say um, is that there's a picture here. This is the um, famous um, New Testament scholar, F.F. F. Bruce. He says, Acts 2 is an ideal picture of this new community rejoicing in forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Spirit. This new community rejoicing in forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Spirit. I'm meditating on that these days. First of all, do I rejoice over the forgiveness of sins? I became a Christian when I was about five or six years old. That doesn't mean that I have been perfect since then <laughs> by any stretch. But do I rejoice over the forgiveness of sins? Do I rejoice over that? Um, I'm trying to understand what that means for me in my life. I don't know, maybe you've got it all worked out. I don't know if I have. And the gift of the Spirit. Mm, That one's interesting as well. That one's worth thinking about. Because I think sometimes when we we talk about this idea of being a Christian, we forget that there's a certain amount of joy to it, not just over the forgiveness of sins, but by the fact that we are empowered to live differently by a Spirit. To live differently by a Spirit. To be changed. So the natural question, I think, is, is why? why was there this favor and why was there this growth and there's this rejoicing aspect to it and all of that? And I, I'm asking that question because would, I'd like to be able to replicate it. That would be great. Um, but also figure out how. How to experience both that favor and, and yes, the growth, but I'm really interested in how all these things fit together. And, and part of us, I think, I think part of us really wants that too. We want to experience the same thing that we read in Acts chapter 2. It's the reason why we go back to it over and over again, I think. And so one of the things that we do is we we double down on Bible study, right? Double down. We're going to Bible study because that's the apostles' teaching. We're going to do that, right? We're going to do that. And then we promote small groups because that's the fellowship aspect to it. And uh, we even offer, you know, prayer time after messages and uh, we think, you know, that's, that's a good idea. and Sometimes we pray together when we're in when we're small groups. And all those things are good things. And by the way, you ought to study your Bible more. You ought to be part of a small group. And you ought to pray. Okay? I mean, those things are important. But, 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 here's the, here's the difference. Here's the difference. It all starts with the presence of God. We must understand this. It all begins with... The presence of God. The Holy Spirit came down, and the people grew to expect Him to be a part of whatever it is that they were doing. That's where all the signs and wonders came from, right? It all starts with the presence of God. Why did they have favor and growth? <laughs> because this, this thing that we call the kingdom of God is different, it's just, it's different. I mean, people act differently and they do things that are, are different. There's real forgiveness. There's empowerment for change. There's all of those things. And, and if I were, were going to sum this up, and I think this is so important because I've, I think I've talked about the kingdom of God since the day I started preaching, I don't know, 10 years ago or whatever. Kingdom of God is the central component of it all. But what I'm coming to realize is that you cannot have a kingdom without a king. Does this make sense? You cannot have a kingdom of God without the king. So if you're wondering why we're harping on presence of God, it's because that's the king. And if you really want to see the kingdom come down and express itself... In truly fabulous ways, even here on earth, even in this assembly, you can't have the kingdom without the king. We've got to grasp hold of that. And so, you know, the question comes down to again, I think, this expectation. You know, I mean, I hope that when you come here, at least you are expecting um, great music. You know, a a decent thought-provoking sermon. If you've got kids, your kids are going to have a good time. They're going to be safe and that they're going to hear something about Jesus. I hope that there's all those things. But do you also have the expectation that you're going to meet with God? Yeah, the creator and maker, you know, sustainer of the universe. Yeah, that one. (laughs) That guy. Do we have that expectation? Do we come with what what I would call this posture of expectancy? Are we expecting God to meet with us, to speak to us, to help us through whatever it is you're dealing with, and and that you may have opportunity to help somebody else deal with whatever it is they're dealing with? Do we come with that kind of expectancy? Now, I don't want to hear, I don't want anybody to walk away hearing David doing this, because I'm not. I I think we, there are times we, we do that well. And we have other places, room for improvement. I understand all that. But it all comes back to this expectancy, are you planning a meeting with the king? Because there's no kingdom of God without the king. No kingdom of God without the king. Did you hear that? There's no kingdom of God without the king. And we need to have that. This is why we're chasing after the presence of God. And so my, my encouragement to you is to devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, of course, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, to prayer, all of those. But in each one of those activities, you are chasing after the king in some way. And that is something you have got to intentionally do in your mind. When I drove up this morning, and it's pouring down rain, I'm like, God, I don't care whoever's here or not here, you're here. That's what counts. And we're going to meet with you, and if your presence is here, That's going to be good enough.